0: Got a nice break of fellowship there. Good to get around and get a chance to say hi to some of you guys. Hey, real quick before we get into Romans sixteen, speaking of fellowship, hopefully this fall we uh, were going to start up our small group studies again. Now some of our regular hosts. Aren't able to host this fall, so take some time prayerfully consider that. If that's something that you feel led to, maybe get involved with to uh, open up your house. Uh, just kind of pray about it here for the week and let us know. We will provide the teachers, we'll provide that type of stuff, and we'd like to have different geographical locations. So sometimes there may be a location already similar to yours that may be already t- uh, taking care of that spot. Just kind of pray about it. And if the Lord leads, talk to me, talk to Rich. And we'll kind of see what the Lord has in store. We'd like to start announcing these by the end of September and start those up in October get them done then before uh, the holiday season hits in November. Hey, we're finishing up Romans 16 this morning. I'm really excited about this chapter. I absolutely love this chapter. It's a spirit-led chapter, but it's also very personal. There's over 30 different people's names mentioned in this chapter, and we get a chance to talk about them. We get a nice glimpse into how the early church was. And before we get started, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. Thank you for the people that you brought out. Lord, life is so busy. Thank you for just taking the time just to bless a slice of this as we just stop and we just focus on you, we praise you, we fellowship, and we just learn and grow. And help us as we leave this building today to be deeper in our walks with you that we may impact people through your leading and all that we do this week. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Once again in this chapter, 30 plus people, you'll see greetings, you'll see praises, you'll see some encouragement with some teaching mixed in. Let's just jump right into this. Romans sixteen verse one. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now I love studying out people's names in the Bible. I love studying out people's names. There was a verse I remember as a young kid. I used to have a bookmark that had my name on top of it on the verse. With it was Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. That idea of the importance of a name. Now, most of the time today, we don't equate what the name means with the name that we give somebody. We pick a name that we like. We pick a name that kind of flows or what have you. Back during Bible times, a lot of these times you see these names actually meaning something and representing something. You know, there's examples of the Old Testament. The women had hard labors. They named a kid after that. How would you like to carry that burden the rest of your life? So what you see here are some of these names. You get a kind of a glimpse maybe into their personality. It's kind of neat. Phoebe's name. Verse 1. Radiant. Radiant. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're supposed to be shining for the Lord in all that we do and say. When you go to work today or tomorrow, go to school, what have you, it's an opportunity for your walk with Christ to shine like a light in a dark room that hopefully draws people towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you're there for. Now, people don't like to hear this. And if you've ever come up to me over the years, it's like, man, I work in a tough job. I'm the only believer there. It is really tough. I'm always like, amen, because you're a light. You get to shine right there amongst all these non-believers and let them see your light, and they will then glorify your Father in heaven. Phoebe, radiant. Now, what else does the talk about her? It says right here that she's quite the servant, verse 1, that you may receive her, verse 2, in the Lord, in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. She's a servant, she's a helper, assist her. Part of the body of Christ is what's helped those who are helping others. I'm not a visionary guy, never have been. I'm so thankful that we have people out here that come up with these ideas and, and suggestions. Say, hey, this would be a great way to impact. And next thing you know, you got outreaches going on at the fair. You got things going on in the back. You got all this stuff going on. People had these visions for it, and it's like, Amen. Let's help those who are helping others come to know Christ. You may get those ideas and suggestions. Hey, come share them. We want the church to support it. You may be one that's like, Okay, Lord, I don't really know, but that sounds like a great idea. I want to get involved with that. Then, Amen. Phoebe was one of these people that Paul is writing the church saying, Hey, help her. She's a servant. She's a helper. Assist her in whatever she needs of because she's going to get out there and get things done. And amen, what a blessing that is. Let's look at our next person here, verses 3 through 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. I've always loved Priscilla and Aquila. They're a married couple, and they're always mentioned together in the Bible. Every reference always has them together. What a neat example that is. Look at their heart. Verse 5. Greet the church that is in their house. They're willing to open up their house. Some of the greatest blessings that Donna and I have ever had as a married couple is when we've opened up our house to either Bible studies or prayer times or just having fellowship and people over. What a blessing it is for us as a couple to come and say, come spend the evening with us and hopefully be blessed. Now, is it difficult to do? Yeah. It's about two hours before that couple gets there. Dawn is a real pain. You know, I'm just saying, trying to get the house around. It's tough opening up your house. It is. But it's a blessing. It is a blessing. We had a couple over this week, and we just, the whole evening next day, like, how much fun was that? Just that fellowship, just that encouragement. So you see them opening up their house together. Well, also, what you see them in the book of Acts, as a couple, they discipled Apollos together. What a neat ministry. What any ministry is that they would take this, this young man and, and bring into their lives and say, we want to help be an example to you of hopefully what a godly marriage looks like, when a godly relationship with Christ looks like. And what a blessing that is. And I look out through over the years, the times that Dawn and I have been able to hopefully build a relationship with somebody and say, wow, we're going to invest in this person and hopefully bless them as they bless us. You see Priscilla and Aquila ministering together, mentioned together. And if your marriage is at that spot, I encourage you to do that. You may say, my marriage is nowhere close to that. That I encourage you to pray for that and make that the goal. What a neat example they are. Now, Aquila, the man, his name means an eagle. Very majestic, right? I like that. Priscilla, her name means ancient. I, Aquila must have liked older women, I don't know. But uh, the 830 service did not laugh at that joke, just for the point. Um. Verse 5, continuing on, greet my beloved Epinetus who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Epinaeus means praiseworthy. Now, some of your translations may not say Achaia. It may say something like Asia or something like that. But Epinaeus means praiseworthy. Achaia means trouble. Now, think about this. Think what Paul is saying here in verse 5. Eponatus, praiseworthy, came out of trouble. Praiseworthy came out of trouble. Think about that. We run from trouble every time we can. And what God is trying to show us here is in the midst of trouble, that is the best time to praise and worship. We're going through Job on Wednesday nights, and we kind of have this point that we keep on talking about, that no matter what is happening in your life, God is worthy of praise. So often we base our praise of God on what is happening, or God gave me a good week, God gave me health. Okay, what happens when God doesn't give you a good week? What happens when you don't have health? He's still worthy to be praised. We still praise Him in the times of trouble. And it's during those times of trouble, it's amazing how you just start thinking of things, and you start thinking of what's going wrong. It's like, okay, Lord, I just want to keep my focus on You. You know, truth be told, it's when I'm in Achaia, in times of trouble, I pray more, I read more, I fast more, I praise more. That's just the truth. I wish it wasn't. I wish I could have that same heart, no matter whether I was in Achaia or not. I don't. And so when I'm in that time of trouble, I cling to the Lord. I had a rough moment earlier this week. I was just struggling with something. I just thought, I was just going to look something up online and I felt like the Lord said, just spend some time in the Word. And my reading for the day was taking me to Psalm 6. I read Psalm 6 and it was perfect, exactly what I needed to hear. The time of trouble drove me to God's Word, which then blessed me and helped me go deeper in my walk with the Lord. Had something happen Friday, I wasn't feeling real good, something popped up. And as I'm just kind of laying there, And there's a gal out here at church that has the exact same problem on a regular basis. And I thought, this is what she deals with all day. And my heart just, I I just started praying for her. Now, I love her as a sister in Christ, but would I have prayed for her at that moment unless I was going through the same trial? Probably not. But it's in that time of Achaia, that time of trouble, that you start praising, you start thinking and praying and worshiping. And I look at Eponidas here, praiseworthy came out of trouble. And what an absolute blessing that is. Now, what about verse 6? Greet Mary, who labored much to us. Mary. A lot of Marys in the Bible. A lot of Marys in the Bible. There's no reason to think that this Mary mentioned in Romans is one of the Marys in the gospel. It's probably a different Mary. But it's an interesting thing. She labored much. Jump ahead, if you're real quick, though, to verse 12. You have three other women mentioned. You have Tryphena, Tryphosa, and you have Persis. Those are all women. Mary, Tryphena, Triphosis, and Persis. And look what it says about Mary. Verse 6, she labored. Verse 12, it says Tryphena and Triphosis labored. And look at Persis. In verse 12, it says that she labored. All the same word. Please note in Romans 16, it never says the men labored. It only says the women labored. That word for labored is a powerful word. That word for labored means this. It means to actually grow weary, tired, exhausted. It's the same word used to describe the fishermen and the Gospels where it says that they toiled all night. Now think about that. These fishermen are out all night working. They get done. They're hot. They're sweaty. They're tired. They smell like fish. They labored all night. That's the same word that Paul uses to describe those four women. I've noticed a lot of times out here at church, and with a lot of these ministries or outreaches we do, there's a lot of gals putting a lot of hours into that. And they're laboring for the Lord. And what a blessing that is. And their names. Trifina, Luxurious. Luxurious. Think about that. Trifosa, Luxurating. Think of luxurious. Wouldn't you just kind of imagine if you said, hey, you need to meet Trifina." Hey, you're back during Bible times. Trifina, Well, luxurious. You just probably imagine this woman all dudded up. Looks perfect. Hair always perfect. Makeup always perfect. Everything looks great. So you go meet Trifena, and here she is covered in sweat and dirt and smells like a fish. But she's laboring for the Lord. And so, I am thankful that we have the Marys, the Trifenas, the Trifosas, the Perses. These gals that are willing to go out there and just labor and work for the Lord. What a blessing that that is. What about the next one here? Verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who were in Christ before me. First thing you need to note about these guys in verse 7 they got saved before Paul did. They got saved before Paul. So these guys have been walking with the Lord longer than Paul. Now, I don't know for sure. I'm assuming they're probably a bit older. Kind of imagine a man, middle-aged, maybe a little bit older here. He's been walking with the Lord for quite some time. Obviously, Paul wants to note that. He says, listen, these guys have been around longer than I have in Christ. Junia's name means youthful. Now, I think that's important. It's really easy for mature saints, seasoned saints, to lose the youthfulness of their walk with Christ. It really is. And here's a guy by the name of Junia that's been around for a long time in the Lord decades. And his name means youthful. The greatest combination you can have is the maturity of a seasoned saint with the excitement of a new believer. What a great combo that is. And I tell you, if you're a seasoned saint and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, and maybe, let's just be kind of honest, things have kind of become a little ho-hum. Maybe the best thing to do is find that newer believer and it's just like that little puppy dog chasing its tail. Spend some time with them and remind you of what the excitement of was like when you were that new believer. If you're a new believer, find that seasoned, mature saint that has wisdom, has walked with the Lord, has been through a lot of battles. I love it out here as a pastor when I see that combination come together. Because that is powerful. That is a powerful combination of maturity, but also excitement of youth. You can mine those two together. It's like, okay, that's a pretty powerful thing. That's one of the things I love uh, serving with Rich about. Um, you know, Rich, Rich when did you get saved, Rich? Uh, 1980. 1980. I got saved in 93. And so Richard is actually one, for some of you who don't know this, Richard used to be my uh, CBC teacher when I was going to West Hope. Richard's actually the one that discipled me uh, when I first got saved. And now coming back full circle to see us serving and ministering together. And I, I usually refer to Rich sometimes like this. I sometimes refer to Rich that I feel like I'm the puppy chasing him, nipping at him. And there's times out here where I'm like, yo, Rich, we need to do this. And we're just going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to announce this Sunday. Rich was like, yeah, let's pray about that first. That maturity, that season. And there's sometimes where, correct me if I'm wrong, Rich, I'm feeling like, okay, come on, Rich, let's go. Let's go. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, see? yeah, Yeah. (laughs) We're, We're a nice combo. We're a nice combo, I think. He brings me back down to earth a little bit, and I say, okay, let's do this. And, and you see that there, and I, I like that combination, and I, and I love that maturity, the wisdom, hopefully with the excitement, and, and it just it's really neat. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, and like I said, maybe it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I've done this a lot, find that new one that's fresh to them. You'll be blessed. And maybe, like I said, once again, you're new to the faith, find that older believer that you can say, hey, will you disciple me, will you spend time with me? You know, the young believers, and I'm not talking young in age, I'm just talking young in the faith, now, I'm not taking old in age. Sometimes it's old in the faith. Young believers accept the wisdom of the seasoned saint. They've been around the block a few times. Older believers enjoy the enthusiasm of the new believer. It's a wonderful combination there. A wonderful combination. What about verse 11? Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Narcissus. Can you please turn with me to Proverbs 30? Narcissus. Now, we said that sometimes names mean things. I feel sorry for Narcissus. I don't know what type of kid he was. I don't know what type of labor the mom had. I don't know the background. Narcissus's name means stupidity. I'm not making that up. Gals, if you're out there and you're pregnant and you're thinking of baby names, um, I think you should cross Narcissus off the list. That's just kind of my personal opinion there. Now, it means stupidity. Look at Proverbs 30, though. Verse 1. The words of Agur, the son of Jaca, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Ucha, Surely I am more stupid than any man. I do not have the understanding of a man. I have neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Some of your translations may not say stupid. It may say something like the line of brutish. But this guy is saying here, Surely I am more stupid than any man. I do not have the understanding of man. I have neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the Holy One. This is not a humble pride. This is not, oh, I really don't know anything. Hoping someone says, oh, yes, you do. This is a guy saying, listen, I don't know everything. And compared to the wisdom that is out there of God, surely I am more stupid than any other man. That is actually one of the wisest things you can say. It's a wise thing to say, you know what? I really don't know what to tell you to do. Let me pray over that. Let me search the scriptures. Let me fast over that for a while. What type of things does he not know? Verse 4. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name, if you know? He's saying, listen, these are the questions that's difficult for us to ask. Like I told you earlier, we're going through Proverbs on Wednesday night. It kind of reminds me of Proverbs 38, where after God hearing all these guys debate back and forth, he interrupts in Proverbs 38 and says, now I'm going to ask you some questions. And basically God says, listen, if you can answer my questions... Job, what would I say? I was just testing you guys. (laughs) and See, surely I am more stupid than any man. Um, Job... I said again, Proverbs Job 38, God shows up. And you know, and it's just one of those things of where, okay, there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. That's really a wise thing to say. I don't know this. I'm just throwing it out there, take it or leave it, personal opinion. Maybe Narcissus was one of those guys that was just really wise. And somebody says, listen, you know, I'm kind of studying the scroll of Deuteronomy here. I'm not getting this. You know what? Go talk to Narcissus, he's got a lot of wisdom. How does uh, he get his wisdom from? Look at verse 5 of Proverbs 30. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Every word of God. It's right back to the word of God, people. That's where it comes back to. Which takes us to our next name, back to Romans 16. Jump ahead to verse 15, please. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Philologus, what a great name, lover of the word. I love that name. Philologus, lover of the word. That idea of just loving God's word. Okay, we talk about this all the time. You know I mention it, but I'm just going to keep repeating this. Gotta be in God's word. That's where wisdom is. That's where guidance is. That's where direction is. It's from the word of God. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you have good success. When God is giving his marching orders to Joshua, Joshua is taking over this difficult command. They just lost this amazing leader of Moses that have led them out of Egypt, led them for 40 years. Joshua has to fill those shoes. God's advice to him, Don't let the book of law depart from your mouth. That's amazing. Philologus, lover of the word. You know, there's a phrase I've been working on in my mind lately about when it comes to God's word. I don't want to be legalistic about God's word. I want to be loyal to it. You can become legalistic really quickly about devotions and prayer times. I read this many chapters a day, this many passages for this long. I check it off. I did it. Obviously, I'm growing in the Lord. It's really easy to start treating devotions as a legalism of you have to or look how holy I am or if you're a really on fire born again believer you're going to read this much and pray this much. It's really easy to get caught up in that legalism. I don't want to be legalistic. I just want to be loyal. I just want to stop and say Lord, I'm loyal to your word because I realize there's wisdom in there. I realize there's guidance in there. There's peace in there. I mean, I, I just see this in my life and I'm sure you do too. If I don't know what to do I spend some time in the word and it's like Lord, things just become clearer. Lord, I'm having a rough day. I spend some time in Psalms, and I just feel blessed. I just want to be loyal to that, and I want to cling to God's word. I remember John Corson telling this great story, and I absolutely loved it. There's a man by the name of Elziar. He's one of those Old Testament guys that doesn't get a lot of attention, but he's mentioned in 2 Samuel 23. Elziar is taking on all these Philistines, and he's just swinging his sword left and right and taking them all on. Well, when the battle gets done, the Bible says that his hand clung To the sword, he couldn't let go of it. NIV says his hand was frozen to the sword. He has been in the battle so much, so intense with that hand, he couldn't let go of the sword. And John Corson makes a great point saying, believers, that's what you're supposed to be like with God's word. That is your sword. And you're just constantly swinging your sword around. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is a sword that your hand becomes frozen to it. You never let go of it because that's your weapon that you need in battle. But how often in life do we let go of our sword? And then we wonder why we can't attack. We wonder why we can't defend. We wonder why we can't. And it's like, oh, Lord, help me be frozen to the sword, to cling to the sword, to be a lover of God's word. Jump back real quick to verse 13 of Romans 16. Got a couple more names here we're going to mention and we're going to make some final points. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Rufus... Now, we don't want to connect too many dots because we don't know for sure, we can't say, but there's another Rufus mentioned in the Bible. It's in Mark 15, if you remember the story. Jesus is going to the cross. And as Jesus is going to the cross, there's a man there by the name of Simon who is in town, it looks like, for the Passover. And so as Jesus is stumbling, going to the cross, they have Simon carry the cross of Christ for Jesus. Now... Obviously, what an amazing thing. You know, here you are in town, you're in town for the Passover, here's this guy condemned to death, and you're watching him go, and then all of a sudden you're the one picked out of the crowd. You're the one that says, Now carry this condemned man's cross. That's Simon. But Mark 15 makes a point to mention that one of his kids' names was Rufus. Now, like I said, we don't want to connect too many dots here, but it's really interesting that there's a Rufus mentioned in Mark 15, there's another Rufus mentioned in Romans 16. Commentators have wondered is it the same person? You know, did this so impact him that it maybe led him to a walk in a relationship with Christ? I mean, have you ever looked back over the years and you see some of these things where God moved the puzzle pieces around? And you're like, wow, yeah. Now I see that. Now I see when the Lord allowed this to happen, this helped take me deeper in my walk with Christ. Or yeah, now when I see this happen, this helped plant seeds in my life to really come to know who Jesus was. Was that moment with Rufus and Simon, a seed planting that really impacted him? And we're seeing the fruits of this now back in Romans 16. There may be things going on right now in your life, and you're like, Lord, why is this? God may be moving puzzle pieces around that you don't know. Or you may have loved ones. You may have friends, family members, kids, grandkids, and things are happening in their life right now, and you're like, Lord, what are you doing? God may be planting seeds and moving puzzle pieces around that you may not see the increase. You may not see the fruit for a while. And let's just say this, and this is a hard thing to say, you may not see the fruit in your lifetime, but are you faithful to trust and realize that God is still moving things around, maybe like with Rufus here, and as he's moving them around, wow, now I see, Lord, why you allowed that to happen. Now I see why you said no to that job. Now I see why that relationship fell apart. Here's why. What a blessing that is. Let's kind of pick up the pace here a little bit because some of these names that we know, we know them pretty well. Verse 21, Timothy, we're pretty familiar with Timothy. Timothy Paul's right-hand man. We have Lucius also mentioned in verse 21 that may ring a bell. He's mentioned in Acts 13 as a prophet, as a teacher. We have Jason also mentioned in verse 21. Jason's an interesting guy. If you remember from Acts 17, we think this is probably the same Jason. Jason's is the guy whose house got attacked. So in Acts 17, Jason's got a group of believers in his house, and his house gets attacked. Can you imagine having a prayer time at your house or a Bible study, and all of a sudden a mob shows up and starts throwing stones at your house? Then they drag you out of your own house. Jason's name means one who will heal. One who will heal. Now, I think about that, and some of the most loving, encouraging people I've ever met are the people who have been the most attacked in this world. Since they've been attacked by this world, they know what it's like, and they can be the most loving, encouraging people you ever met sometimes. You know, it's interesting. We live in a world, in a society, where if we have some type of physical scar, Generally, we try to do whatever we can to hide it. We wear longer sleeves. We wear something around our neck. We do something to cover those scars up because we don't want people to see our scars. It's interesting, and we don't know for sure if this is true or not, but I heard a pastor teach on this one time. I've never forgot it. They talked about Jesus. And Jesus obviously had the marks of the cross on him for a while because we know when he appeared to the disciples, he still said, look at my hands. You know, you can see the marks. Revelation describes Jesus as, a, as the lamb that was slain. It has led some people to believe that maybe Jesus carries the marks On his hands and his feet through maybe all of eternity. Now wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be interesting? That those scars are visible through all of eternity as a visible reminder of maybe what Christ went through us on the cross. Point is this. You may have scars in your life. Now I'm not talking necessarily physical scars. I'm talking spiritual emotional scars. You went through some rough stuff. Rough childhood, rough young adult, rough marriage, rough whatever, fill in the blank. We spent all of our lives trying to hide it. I don't want people to know what I was like or what I went through. The pastor made this point because maybe you need to let your scars be seen a little bit. Maybe people need to see the scars of what you went through so you can say, just like Jason, one who will heal. Hey, I was attacked for my faith, drug out of my house. Let me encourage you. Maybe you can say, you know what, let me tell you about the scars in my previous life before I got saved. Or let me tell you about the scars I went through last year, how difficult it was. People may need to hear that to be blessed and to say, okay, Lord, you got them through it, you can get me through it. Verse 22. I, Tertarius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Now, Tertarius is kind of an interesting guy. He's the guy that wrote Romans. Now, obviously, Paul, led by the Spirit, is the one that the Lord led, but what we can Put together is this, is that Paul kind of dictated this to Teterius. This name gets mentioned. Now, I always wondered, I'm kind of joking here, did Teterius just kind of slip that verse in when Paul wasn't paying attention? Paul can't tell, right? Paul leaves the room, hey, Teterius, I'm going to get something to drink. He comes back, and I, Teterius, wrote this epistle, grew to the Lord. Paul comes back, verse 23, you know, Teterius Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole, you know, did he slip it in? Interesting about you know what his name means. His name means third. Now, what parent names their kid a number? They ran out of names after the first two? Now, I refer to my kids by number sometimes, because some of you don't know my kids. And so if I say, well, Kenan did this, well, which one's Kenan? Well, I sometimes say, well, our third. But I don't go around at home saying, hey, number two, come here. I don't say, has anybody seen fifth? I don't say that. Why would he be named Third. Most people believe he was named third. It's because he was a slave. doesn't even get a name. He's just a number. You see quatrus there in verse 23. That means fourth. Why even name your slaves? They're just numbers. They're just property. This guy is not even worthy of a name. He's just third. This next guy is just fourth. They were just, dare we say, livestock to them. It's like a farmer branding his animals just to keep track of. Here's this guy that's just third. Probably a slave. Didn't have a lot of hope in his life. Didn't have a lot of future in his life. But for all of eternity, he's the guy that got to write the epistle of Romans. Reminds me of the passage in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we say or think. Do you think third, before he got saved, or even right after he got saved, ever thought... Wow, I'm just a slave, but I'm going to write a book of the Bible. No. What an amazing thing that God led Paul through the Spirit, and Terturius got to be the guy that got to write it down, as Paul was dictating to him. The slave. And, and I tell you, sometimes, once again, we look at ourselves, and we think about how we were raised, we think about our lifestyle, we think about this, and we just think, we're nothing. How could God use me? I'm just absolutely nothing in the Lord God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that you say or think. So, right now, you may be in a spot of nothingness. God is really good at taking nothingness and turning into something. And that's exactly what the Lord does. And that's what this guy right here, third, is now recorded for all of eternity as the one that helped write down the book of Romans. Now, let's jump back here and just hit a little bit of the theology before we close. Paul throws in a couple final thoughts here in verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Even though he's talking about all these wonderful people, like I said, 30 plus people's names mentioned. He's encouraging them. He's praising them. Look what God's doing. He stops in verse 17 and says, hey, but you know what, guys? You're going to have people in the church that cause problems. He says, note that. Pay attention to that. Paul, in his final words to the church at Ephesus, says, be wary. Wolves will come in like sheep's clothing. So he says, be careful. Note them. Avoid them. Verse 17. Why? Verse 18. They're only serving their own belly. They're not serving themselves. It's just about what can they get out of it. What type of pride? What type of whatever do they get out of it? Well, really, Jesus set the example of washing feet. It's not about me. It's like, how can I represent Christ to the dying world? How can I serve and love the body of Christ? How can I encourage them and uplift them? Paul says, be careful of these people. They're just serving their own belly. Be careful. Note that. Verse uh, 19, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. That's a great verse. I tell you, parents, if you've got kids at home or you've got grandparents, you've got grandkids, what a great verse for them. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. That's a great passage for your kids or grandkids. And let's say you're older. That's a great passage for you, no matter what age you're at. Wouldn't that be great to basically say, Lord, I'm wise in what is good. I'm innocent and naive in what is evil. I don't even know it. I don't even get the joke. What a blessing that would be to pray that for the generations following us and to pray that for ourselves. Verse 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Oh, I love verse 20. Kind of a quick reminder. Hey, guys, we win. We win. Don't forget that, guys. Satan's going to be crushed underneath Jesus. Don't worry about it. Doesn't We have to get into detail about it. Hey, guys, we win. Verse 25, his benediction his final thoughts. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. I like verse 25. Now him who is able to establish you. Keep your hand in Romans 16. Jump back to Romans 1, please. Romans 1. If you look at part of the purpose here of the book of Romans and why Paul wanted to go to Rome, you'll see the similar thought. Romans 1, look at verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. So in Romans 1, I want to help establish you in the faith. Romans 16, now God is going to help establish you. Those are the bookends of Romans. That word establish means to make firm. To make firm. That idea of of helping you go deeper. that, That idea of saying, I want to strengthen your walk with Christ. It's been years ago, I can't remember when, somebody came up to me and kind of said, what's the mission statement of, of Harvest Fellowship? And I said, you know, we really don't have a mission statement. We kind of get together, just simply teach the Word of God, let God move. And they start talking, well, you know, you need a mission to help keep focus. So we just kind of said, well, our mission is, you know what? If you're not saved, we want to see you saved. And if you are saved, we want to see you go deeper in Christ. And so they kind of took that. And if you look at the back of your bulletin, it says our mission, to see people saved and go deeper in Jesus. That's the most eloquent thing we can think of. If you don't know Christ, we want to introduce you to who Jesus Christ is and salvation and eternity in heaven. If you know Christ, I want you to go deeper in your walk and relationship with Him. Or as Paul would use the word here in Romans 1 and Romans 16, we want to establish you. We want to help you go deeper to make your faith more firm in what you do and what you say. And I hope that's what happens here, happens, I should say, through the book of Romans, is that you have gone deeper in your walk and relationship with Christ. Because that's what matters. If they're not saved, Lord, open their eyes and ears to you and help us to proclaim clearly salvation through Christ and Christ alone, forgiveness of sins. If they are saved, Lord, help them to be more firmly rooted in Jesus, to go out and be a light and a witness through the power of the Holy Spirit and all that we do and say. Think of how many people, how many people you're going to interact with this week. That is just seed planting right there. How many people you get an opportunity just to represent the love of Jesus to? Hey, how can I pray for you? Maybe share a verse or just represent love. Oh, it's opportunities all over the place. There's a dying world and we get a chance to represent Christ to a dying world. The Bible says that we are as ambassadors. What an honor. What a privilege. What a joy. And so, Lord, help us to be established firmly in you, to be the light and witness as you've called us to be. Marv, if you come forward here for the final song. Keep in prayer, we have the joy, the excitement of starting a new